Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Nate Ryan here with NASCAR NBC analyst Jeff Burton. And Jeff, you were just at the race. We're going to talk about Gateway near St. Louis, the cup race last night. Kyle Busch wins the race, wins from the pole position for Richard Childress Racing, his third victory of the season that leads the series. Uh, Very much an old school day, I thought, for Kyle Busch and RCR, not just because that's just an old school team, but because in this case, it truly was old school and the teams weren't able to communicate with their shops the way they normally are. So I want to get into all that, Jeff, but let's just talk first about Kyle Busch really fulfilling expectations here for Childress, three victories in his first season there. Well, I feel like Joe Gibbs was pretty vocal, uh, you know, when the decision was being made about Kyle Busch that he didn't want to lose him, and you see why. Uh, I think a lot of people, and, and including myself, was wondering, hey, man, what's going on with Kyle Busch? You look at the last three or four years, it wasn't typical Kyle Busch winning a ton of races. I uh, started to wonder if he had lost a little bit. And here he comes. And by the way, there's no way he didn't wonder that, too. Regardless of what he says, there's just no way that you're like, am I part of the problem here? Uh, Tyler Reddick leaves RCR, and everybody's like, oh, my God, that's terrible for RCR. Uh, that, you know, that spells trouble. Finds a way to get Kyle Busch, and he's won three races. So, you know, this is a uh, never count Richard Childress out. I can promise you that. He finds a way. And now Kyle Busch has proven to himself which is the most important thing that he can still win races. He can still get it done. And those guys, they're just doing a really good job. And, and I, I actually spent a lot of time with Richard Childress at the racetrack every week. And he loves having Kyle Busch in his camp. Uh, feels like he's brought so much. He pushes them, uh, really enjoys working with Kyle. Uh, they're having success together. And, and I just, I mean, I just, these guys are dangerous. And, and with so many questions coming into the year about what can this team do, uh, they have been they have done a really good job. And you're going to have to deal with Kyle Busch to win this championship. Yeah, not just because, again, series-leading third victory this year, tying William Byron, but also because, Jeff, his first two victories were at Fontana, Talladega, but it seemed like short tracks were a little bit of a weakness for this team. This race comes at a track that not a traditional short track, but I think a lot of people would be comparing this certainly to a Phoenix in terms of the length. That's where the championship is going to be decided. Did Kyle Busch maybe send a message a little bit here that this is a more versatile team uh, and can win anywhere than what we've seen so far this year? 
Well, I, th I think that they did, and but but you know, most importantly, Nate, I think one of the things that goes into this is when you are a new team combination in today's world, uh, you get almost no practice. You get very limited testing. They were able to test. Um, you know, they were able to test in the off season as as the Chevy represented tests at a few places. I think that helped them. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, you you're you're really working off of last year's setups and 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 trying to adapt it to your current driver. That's very difficult to do with 20 minutes of practice. And so, you know, you you wonder where this team can be and how good this team can 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 go into the future. Uh, the more experience they have together. And Kyle's the kind of guy that, you know, really thrives, in my opinion, thrives on that experience. He's very confident in his beliefs about what the car needs to do and what he needs in it to drive it. And when he starts having success with something, he, then he really can can dig his feet in and say, I need this and I proved it to you. If you give it to me, I can win. So, you know, I just, I do, I just feel like uh, they've done an incredible job as a new combination uh, with big shoes to fill. I know that sounds crazy. Kyle Busch filling Tyler Reddick's shoes with all the success that Kyle Busch has had, but Tyler Reddick is the talk of the town. I mean, he's the guy that, you know, at the end of last year, middle of last year, was like, he's the future. He's the guy that's going to win championships the next 10 years. And Kyle Busch having to prove himself again has come in and done that. And, and, what a, you know, who would have seen it coming? Uh, you just never know what's going to happen when you team people up, but, um, Richard's got that, that got that swagger, you know what I mean? That we've all seen when he gets confident, he's got that swagger. Kyle Busch has that swagger. Uh, that whole team is like, Hey man, we're here to play. And, and they just, where they can go from here will be really interesting to see because confidence, confidence is a uh, very important part of, of racing and they sure have it. Do you think that Reddick and all of the talk about him this year with his move to 2311 racing, has that been a motivator? Do you think a little bit for Kyle and RC? I would imagine, and nothing against Joe Gibbs or, or anybody else, but whenever you depart a team, you have a point to prove. There's no question about that. I don't know that Kyle Busch needs a whole lot more motivation. I don't know that he's that kind of guy. You know, I feel he and his bro brother both had always been able to put distractions behind them. And when they get in those race cars, they just go drive them. Uh, so I don't know that that matters a whole lot to Kyle Busch, but I will say this, when when uh, you are part of a transition and you're leaving somewhere and somebody else is taking your seat and all the talk is about them and you go out and, and have really good performances, it, it means something. And, and uh, like I said, confidence is important. When you wake up in the morning and you're thinking about what, and this, this is what racers do, by the way, when you wake up in the morning, you typically are thinking about your racing. And, and when you're thinking about it from a confident standpoint and you're on your toes rather than on your heels it's a completely different conversation in those monday meetings and it it builds more success in my opinion it builds more success and more confidence in each other where you now can push each other you now can push each other even harder um and and that's the advantage in running well is that the expectation gets ramped up uh what's acceptable gets ramped up you no longer have to prove to yourselves that we can work this out. We can find a way to be a good team. You already are. And so now you take that and build on that. And the, the foundation is just a better foundation to build on. You've driven for Richard Childress, Jeff. And you know, as I mentioned, this is a team that's been around for more than 50 years. I think very much old school, both in its brand and the way that it does things. And as I mentioned, 
I think it was appropriate that Kyle Busch and this team win this race because when you think about new school NASCAR, certainly you think about war rooms and you think about teams being in constant connection with their home base and with the manufacturers that are located in the Charlotte region with Toyota and Chevrolet and Ford. So we see this really interesting situation during the gateway race arise where apparently like the fiber optic connectivity to the track went down. It didn't affect NASCAR's ability to run the race, but it certainly affected media and teams in terms of their ability to, to maintain internet connectivity. What did we learn there? And you can speak to it. Why is it so important now for teams to have that constant high-speed connection back to the Charlotte area? I kind of equate it to power steering. So, you know, we used to race without power steering. And now that you have it, you can't do without it because you build everything around it. You know, so you hear a guy say, hey, I've lost power steering. A lot of our old school fans are like, well, just man up and drive it. You know, Kelly Yarborough used to do it. Well, the car was built to drive without power steering. Once you start relying on power steering, it allows you to do things that you couldn't do before. And so now the driver almost literally can't turn the car. It's not because he's not as strong as the guys were in the 70s. It's because the car won't let you. And so it's a lot like that. When you have these tools, uh, SMT data. So, you know, crew chief can literally look and see what his driver is doing in the car with his feet, with his hands. Where are you slower? Where are you faster? Right. You use those tools to help make the next change. And now the only thing you have is the driver's word. Well, sometimes the driver's wrong, not in what he's feeling, but where he's really getting beaten on the, on the track, where he really needs speed. When you have all that data, you can simply, you're able to look and say, okay, this is our slow spot. This is our good spot. And then push the driver. Why, how, what? Simple timing and scoring. Like the simple ability to know what your speed is compared to other people, where you're getting beaten, the, the connectivity back to the shop where all the teams have built uh, the ability to help build the strategies. And on a day where strategy mattered, we saw people take two. It didn't work for most. We saw people stay out. We saw people pit. Now you're doing all that on the fly, which we used to do. But our systems were built to do it that way. These systems are built to have all this help, have these resources. Now you're flying, you're flying in a completely different way than you were before. So it had a major bearing on the teams. Uh, it had a major impact on, on what changes you were making and how you were making them. And, and that's okay. I mean, it didn't, you know, it's not like we didn't have a race, but it did change in a great way, the teams were communicating with their drivers and building strategies throughout the day. Yeah, and uh, I agree with you. Like, I think on one hand, it's great. It's cool to have that technology. It's cool to talk about. I mean, we live in such a data-driven society these days. It's kind of cool to see that NASCAR is a part of that. But then, you know, I look at Formula One and I see there's one team that's won all the races there and has led 95% of the laps this season. And there are dangers to having too much technology encroach on your racing. And I don't want to diminish the fact, I mean, RCR has a war room. I, Marty Snyder went and hung out there after they won at Texas a couple of years ago with some strategy calls that they were able to make from their home base that relayed to the pit box thousands of miles away. I mean, they're as much as in, in communication with their teams as any of the other teams are, as any of the manufacturers are. But do you think that maybe the Childress approach, the Kyle Busch approach, where I would consider him to be like a like an old school racer, do you think that made 
a difference? Do you think maybe they took advantage of that fact? Hey, listen, Richard Schroeder wears cowboy boots and jeans <laughs> and a cowboy hat. He has a very technical racing. He has been an innovator in many ways in the, on the technology side of things. And, and which is why, by the way, if you look at what Richard has done, when so many of his counterparts, some of our biggest car owners in the sports history, were not able to continue, were not able to adjust to changing things and ultimately went out of business. And here Richard is still plugging away and still winning races. So yes, Richard's an old school guy, and but he is not an old school thinker. Mm -hmm. He is always looking to innovate. He is always looking to find a way to bring more technology. Now he wants to couple it with common sense practice, right? But but you know don't judge that book by its cover. And 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 that guy was always pushing engine in the engine shop, uh, car technology. He was always and is still pushing he wants to be on the edge of that technology he wants to be pushing it uh now he'll question it all along the way he'll push forward and then question it that's who he is and that's why he's been successful so there was another storyline involving richard childress racing jeff that made a lot of headlines probably gonna make some headlines this week chase elliott of course misses gateway because he hooked denny hamlin on the right rear of the coca-cola 600 gets suspended a race during the gateway race late in the going, Austin Sindrick hit Austin Dillon in a similar manner. Let's just first talk about the incident. It appeared that Sindrick had room a little bit on his right side, and he kind of came down and the track a little bit and hit Dillon in the right rear. Austin Dillon and Richard Childress both said this was intentional. They both thought that Austin Sindrick should be suspended a race for this, what they consider being intentionally wrecked. How did you see the incident? Did you feel like Austin Sindrick was intentionally crashing Austin Dillon? Well, I didn't see I didn't see what led up to all that. You know what I mean? I don't know the history. Like in the other two incidences where we did see drivers get suspended, we saw it all right in front of our eyes. We saw a move and then a reaction to that move. Uh, and it was like, hey, he did this because of that. I don't know what happened before or if anything, I don't know what happened. So it's hard for me just to say it was retaliatory because I don't I don't know the whole story. Mm -hmm. um, I will say on a, on a broader picture, like this is why NASCAR really doesn't want to get involved in in making penalties, right? Like they really don't. It would it, they really would rather the drivers broke it out for themselves, because now, you know, you 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 made a stance and you said if you intentionally hook somebody, you intentionally do something to endanger them, there's going to be a penalty and it's going to be stiff. So, which I support, but at the same time. Uh, you have it has to be clear and simple that it was an intentional act, and it's hard to always judge intention. It's you know drivers make mistakes. I can show you many wrecks that I got in that I could tell you that people thought it was a hundred percent intentional. Uh, Danica Patrick at, at, at Phoenix, like I you know I couldn't figure out why everybody was so mad at me. Then I went back and watched the video, and I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah I see it now. But I didn't even the Jeff Gordon incident at Texas. Yeah. Like, like I, so it has to be, it has to be clear cut, no question that a driver did something on purpose, you know, to make that call, which is why NASCAR doesn't want, really doesn't want to be in that business. Or we look at it or NASCAR looks at it, not we, NASCAR looks at incidences with a completely different point of view and, and says, 
It doesn't matter if it's intentional or not. You know, then where are we? Mm -hmm. You know, then we then we get into the situation where you mentioned F1 earlier, where you're having calls made on drivers uh, by a group or an individual uh, based not even on intention, based on just the action. And do we want to go there? So these are questions that will always linger in motorsports. Um, you know, in, in football, it doesn't matter if you intended to, to, to hit the kicker late. You still did it. Personal foul, right? Like, do we want to go there? It doesn't matter why. Um, you know, I don't know that we want to go there. I think that that is not where we want to go. But uh, I think it just opens up Pandora's box and you'll never get it shut. And, and it will be a, this will be a point of conversation um, with every race team. Like, what does this mean? What do the what are the what are the implications of the the massive penalties of parking someone? You can't race next week. That is a massive penalty. And so, where does that stop? And it is it is it will be a question that NASCAR will have to answer, uh, working with the industry to come to the best solution and then communicate that to everybody. It's very clear. It's very clear. If you intend to do something and it's an act uh they're gonna they're gonna respond to it immediately in this case how do they respond to this when you could make a legitimate argument that it was a racing mistake like you just made a mistake and and this is this is where nascar is going to going to have to walk a fine edge yeah and and i don't envy, and i don't envy them like i don't envy that position it is their job to police the sport uh and so they have to they have to police the sport but it, it's a little more complicated, in my view, than, than well, it's not a little bit. It's very, definitely complicated, more complicated than the, the two incidences that, that we would compare them to. Well, I think the problem here for NASCAR is that they've set that precedent this year now that you hook somebody in the right rear. We think you crash somebody intentionally. You're getting a one-race suspension. But what's different about this incident, I mean, I watched it a few times before we started, and I can't tell um, like I could the Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin incident. It doesn't seem like we have as much context for Cindric and Dylan. For Hamlin and Elliott, we had the context of Hamlin ran yeah. Elliott. Elliott hits the wall and then he immediately retaliates. And Denny said, go look at the SMT data. You'll be able to see. Right. I think Denny posted the SMT data that you were talking about earlier that shows the throttle and steering and braking traces that paints a clearer picture. You know, one is kind of the, the issue for NASCAR here is that this one maybe didn't seem as obvious. And like you said, maybe we don't know the full context of what led up to it. But two, like, do they look at the SMT data to try to land on a decision here? It just, it feels really sticky to me for all those reasons. Well, the SMT data is going to show, is going to show the two car turning to the left, I'm sure, because it looked like to me he did. But again, did they? It just wasn't an immediate retaliatory move. Like right. I, I, this, I understand why you know Richard and and Austin they're connecting this to an event that happened earlier in the race, and so they view it as retaliatory, right? That's their point of view, um, and and I don't know they're wrong. I don't know they're right. I just that's their point of view that this was a action that happened earlier. We just don't have that full context like we did in those other situations. And and again, the broader picture. Um, and, and Austin Cindric wouldn't agree with this probably, but the broader picture is the discussion about how you handle these types of situations. Like it, NASCAR is a contact sport. It just is. And at what point is the contact too much? And at what point do you have to hold people responsible? 
even if it's a mistake. And and some of our greatest moments in the sport were mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, it, it's, it, it's racing happens. Like you, when you put people out there and you say, hey, we're going to pay you a lot of money and everything you've worked for your entire life is right in front of you. And we're going to, it's a competition. People are going to make mistakes. And at what level do we hold them responsible for mistakes versus knowing something happened on person and on purpose? And that's what NASCAR, not just in this incident, this same incident is going to happen in the future. It's going to happen again. And how do they handle it? It's going to be interesting to see what their take is on it uh, during this week. You know, even though I said precedent, NASCAR can do whatever it wants. And <laughs> we've seen that throughout history. They can change direction on how they mete out punishment. And there's a line here that they don't want to cross. Yes. You know, that's what and, I think. and maybe they, ha they have to come out and say, to your point, like, hey, we're going to suspend if it's blatant, but maybe, maybe they step back on this one and don't suspend Cindric because they say, hey, we don't have enough evidence like we did with Elliot and Hamlin. I think either way, Nate, there'll be an explanation to it, yeah. right? And and I think that that's what's really important. This is a very important week for NASCAR in making this call because they're they're defining the rules. But I don't view this as clear cut like those other wrecks. I just I think it's way more complicated than those other wrecks. Way more complicated. Yeah, I agree, and uh, I certainly don't want to see the NASCAR reach the point of going to the stewards every time there's contact on the racetrack to see if somebody needs to be suspended. Well, if, if we were, if we were going to go to the point where we started penalizing people on a more frequent basis, then we would have to change that whole system. Right. Like you would have to put people, do we really want to do that? <laughs> no. I mean? Like, like uh, so that might late. What, what do we say all the time? The problems of rules, if you have to enforce them, like the more rules you have, the more you have to enforce them. And, and, it's just more complicated in motorsports than it is in other sports. I, I don't care what anybody says. It's just more complicated. When you add the vehicle into the equation, no other sport, right? I guess golf does because you can bring your own clubs. But, but no other sport compares to motorsports in the, in the degree of complication that the vehicle brings to the rules, right? Think about the thousands of parts that are on the vehicle. So you have to mandate that as well as what the drivers and teams are doing. Man, it is, it is, you're, you're officiating on the field, off the field and the ball. It is just a more complicated process than every other sport. Wise perspective from the mayor who I've heard say many times, the problem with rules is you have to enforce them. You don't want to have too many of them. 11 caution flags in this race, Jeff. A few for brake rotor failures. We had Carson Hosevar, Tyler Reddick, Noah Gregson, Bubba Wallace, all with brake rotor failures. What did you make of that? And spec parts now, essentially, with the next gen, essentially being a, a vendor-supplied car, could that be traced to whoever is supplying the brake rotors in this instance? Well, so so I will I will assume that this was not a vendor problem. I'm going to assume that this isn't some sort of rash of bad parts. Um, this is the kind of racetrack that you have those problems where you, what happens is you have very long straights at gateway and you have really high braking because the corners have a really tight radius. And so it's the worst case scenario. As you go down the straights, 
you are on the straights long enough where the veins in the rotor, the rotor spinning sucks air into the, into the rotor, pushes it out through the center of the rotor or the edges of the rotor rather. And that's what cools the rotor. Well, the longer you go down that straightaway, the more cooling needs you get. And then as you drive into the corner, you apply a lot of brake. And so you generate a ton of heat all at once on a ro rotor that's just cooled all the way down the straightaway. So this is the kind of racetrack that we have had these kind of problems in the past. Now, you take and put the small spoiler on the car that we had this year versus last year, and now the car doesn't slow as much. So you have a situation where the driver is probably going faster down the straightaway. He has to use the brake more because you don't have as much drag. The air isn't slowing the car down. So now you're spiking the heat to the rotor even more, hmm. right? So you have this worsening of condition where you have massive heat all at once on a cool rotor, lap after lap after lap. And that's when we see, that's when we see rotors fail historically in our sports history. So I would imagine it has more to do with that than the actual part. And uh, having said that, we're going to New Hampshire, which has a very similar situation uh, where you, you apply a lot of brake all at once. I don't think as much as here. You would, people would try to compare it to Phoenix, but turn one braking at Phoenix is not as, as excessive. So this probably of the racetracks we have is the worst case scenario. Going to end, Pocono, Pocono could be an issue, but you, you know, that could be an issue, uh, but you don't break as much into Pocono turn, uh, you know, the way that you, you do turn one, but not turn three. So you don't have as much excessive brake heat. So I think that this is probably worst case scenario. Uh, and we haven't really seen this issue until we went to this racetrack. So I think it's a track specific thing. Hmm. Uh, I'd be a little concerned going to New Hampshire, be a little concerned, um, at Pocono, but 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 I don't think those two are as bad as as where we just were. So maybe more just driver team setup type thing, like where they can modulate it and figure out a way. Yeah, to do it I, yeah. I I would think that that uh, you know I don't. How can you find a way to not cool the rotor as much? You know what I mean. I think that would be the conversation that that, that we would if if I was running a race team, that would be the conversation we would be having. Uh, it wouldn't be to try to to, to keep the heat out of it. Mm -hmm. It would be the opposite because the driver needs the performance of, of, of great braking. He needs that performance. I wouldn't try to take that away. Um, you might have to, that might be the only solution, but that wouldn't be my, that wouldn't be my first option. The first option would be how can we keep from cooling it so much on the straights? Right. I want to talk about some drivers who unfortunately didn't have the best of days. One had a lot of attention on him coming into the race. Corey LaJoy steps in for the suspended Chase Elliott. I think part of this, Jeff, was, you know, at one point he was talking with the crew chief, Alan Gustafson, and Alan Gustafson's like, hey, we don't have any data, so there's not a lot we can do to try to figure out what's going on with this car, especially considering, I mean, this is the first time they're ever working with Corey LeJoy prior to this race in, in the Cup Series. So what did you make of what happened for Corey LeJoy, and is it a missed opportunity? I mean, we, we heard a lot of talk. Obviously, he wants that first tier cup series ride. He's lobbied Hendrick Motorsports before Rick Hendrick about trying to get a ride with that team. What does this performance at Gateway do for him? And does it damage those hopes in the future at all? Well, look, I, I think everybody respects Corey for being a, a talented race car driver. And, and, you know, yesterday, you know, obviously wasn't the day that Corey wanted. 
uh, it didn't put the stamp on the, I told you I could do it. You know, it didn't do that. But at the same token, you know, every team has a bad day. Every team unloads the stuff that's not very good. Um, you know, and uh, 20 minutes of practice, not every driver drives the same way. You, you go to a team that has, you know, that has a champion driver. They built that program around him. You roll over in there and it just, you know, and then by the way, the five struggled early too. You know, the, the five did not run well early. They, they rallied and found a way, but that's, you know, they've been working together a long time, uh, have a lot of experience together. And, and Corey and his team weren't able uh, to rally the way the, 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 the Larson and his team were. So I know Corey was disappointed. Um, I know that Corey, uh, you know, feels probably feels like it was a missed opportunity for those of us that have driven race cars. I, I've been there, done that. Um, and, and so, you know, I would encourage Corey not to have his head hung low. Uh, it certainly wasn't a successful venture. And, and I, you know, look, I think too, I think <laughs> we have this thing in our sport where, you know, not just drivers, but fans are like, well, if that guy was driving this car, this was doing that, or this was it. People, it's damn hard. <laughs> it's it's so damn hard. And, and and people have no idea how hard it is. And so we're bad about trying to judge drivers based on snapshots. Well, he did this for a year, or he did that, and he did this, and he's no good here, and he sucks there, and he's great here. Like, it's hard. And and you have to have you have to have days where things go well. You have to have great pit stops. You have to have the right calls at the right time. The driver has to do the right things at the right time. And if you have a combination of things where it doesn't go like that in a single race, especially a shorter race, I know that race lasts forever, but the actual on track time was pretty short. Uh, actual green flag laps was pretty short. Like it's hard to recover. You know, you, you could, you might can recover on a 600 mile race at Charlotte, but to recover on a shorter race uh, at Gateway, it's very hard. So, uh, you know, just be careful. I know it's we're sports fans, man. I do it too. You know, I watch quarterbacks. I'm like, that guy's no good. You know, he's one of the <laughs> best 30 quarterbacks in the freaking world, right? But he's no good. Um, so you just have to recognize how hard it is. And, and, and you know, I, I, I know Corey's disappointed and he probably, you know, he probably should be disappointed because he, it was a great opportunity, but, but, I'm I'm a realist and I understand how hard it is and you just catch something on the wrong day and it that could happen to anybody. So Corey LaJoy finishes 21st, right ahead of Ross Chastain, who finishes 22nd. He got some stage points, Jeff. Ross Chastain did, but big fade at the end. I can't help but notice this is three straight finishes for him outside the top 20 since Darlington, where he had his thing with Larson there, one of many Ross Chastain run-ins that we've certainly seen over the past year. He had the talk from Justin Marks. What's going on here? Do you feel like, has that impacted Ross Chastain's performance since Darlington? Well, he was in another wreck this week. I, look, I've said this before, and I'll, I'll, I'll continue to say it. The biggest challenge for Ross Chastain is having success and not being himself. And I, you know, I watched it last year when, when he tried to pull the reins back he spent three weeks in a row being in wrecks or two of the three being in wrecks that he was trying to avoid that before he would just would have sailed in there and said, this is my spot. Instead, he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want to cause a wreck. And he, and he was in wrecks anyway. Right. And so 
And so now, you know, he's trying to adjust to not be in the center of everything every week. And that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I'm sure that's the way it feels. And the success isn't there. So this is a major challenge in, in pulling the reins back on a guy and saying, look, that chip on your shoulder, I don't care about anybody but me. I'm going to do whatever I got to do. And if you don't like it, so what? Taking that away from somebody is a big adjustment. And it, it doesn't happen overnight. Like, you're not going to change Ross Chastain. Ross Chastain is Ross Chastain. He's raced this way for years. Talk to anybody that's raced with him. He People don't like racing with him. It's not Ross's job to make people like racing with him. That's not his job. His job is to go do his job for his team and himself. And it is a challenge to change who you are midstream. This is – and so – Yes. Has it affected him? I don't think there's any doubt it's affected him because there's no, he's a human being. What if somebody came to your job and said, you know, you're pretty damn good at what you do, but we got to do it different and we need to do it different now. How the hell would you do that? Yeah. And you're doing it in a sport where people, they want, they want you vulnerable. They want to take advantage of you. It's in a sport where it's perfectly acceptable to want to beat the hell out of you. It's a stated goal. You all are, we are here to defeat you. And, and how do you take a guy and say, you need to change, right? Like, it's a very difficult thing to do. And I've been, I've been outspoken about Ross does need to change. But the process in which that happens needs to happen over years not weeks yeah and and that's what happens with race car drivers think about think about kevin harvick think about kyle bush think about some of our greatest drivers they have evolved their careers they don't drive today the way they drove when they first came into the sport but that didn't happen in a few weeks or a few months it happened over years and ross for the first time in his life starting really what last year is sitting and winning equipment. He's learning how to be a winning driver. He, before that he had to drive like this to exist. So it's, this is complicated. It's not as easy as people would let on. Hey, Ross, just quit hitting people. You know how you do that? Slow down. What does that do for you? <laughs> so I don't envy Ross Chastain's position here. I don't envy Justin Mark's position here, but they have had success when Ross has been Ross. And, and in my opinion, the best way for Ross to evolve is over time. And, and when I say time, that ain't months or weeks, it's years. Let Ross be Ross. Go back and analyze and say, hey, man, in this situation, but, but how do you pull a guy that's going 100%? How do you pull him to 93? Does that work for Ross Chastain? I, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, very tough situation when when publicly publicly it's like hey he's got to change like that's a very tough situation for a guy like ross who the reason he's here is because of that gritty attitude do you think it's as simple as the team just saying mark saying look i'm 
I made a mistake. We need to let you be you. Because that's essentially what was Marx was saying right up until post Darlington. He comes out and says, oh, we're going to have this talk with Ross. Before that, it was like, we've got his back. I don't want him to change at all. Is it as simple as just reverting back to the way they supported him before? Well, let's be clear. You're right. Ross Ross did get stage points and, and, and they didn't run bad early. They faded late, right? So let's be clear. I, 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 I can't say that Ross finished 22nd because of a changed attitude. Yeah. Like, I, I can't say that. So I don't want to put all the performance, you know, on, on this situation because I don't think that's fair. But to your point, how do you handle this situation? And, and I do think that they are better off as a team just letting Ross be Ross and just saying, hey, Ross, go do your thing, man. Let's, let's try to be a touch more respectful. Let's try to be a little bit, you know, just a little bit. But, man, you got to push. Like you got to push and, and uh, you know, I don't, I'm trying to equate it to something that people would understand it, it, it. So everybody's normal is different, right? Some people think it's normal to jump out of an airplane with a parachute on. Some people think that's nuts. Everybody's normal is no, different. And so Ross's normal is stuff that a lot of people get offended by. His driving style is normal to him. You're asking him to change his normal. You're asking him to change what comes natural to him. And I don't want to be too philosophical, but just think if somebody did that to you. Yeah. What, right? So, Nate, this is how you've done things forever. You're pretty damn good at what you do. But, eh, don't like it. I need you to change. Like, how do you do that in the middle of a championship battle? How do you do that in the middle of a year? How do you do that right in the heat of the battle? Yeah. Like, Nate, that next thing you do, it's got to be different. I, I, it's just a big, it's a big challenge for an athlete to be asked to change who he is. Any athlete. Sonoma next week, then a break. NASCAR and NBC takes over. I know you were just in Chicago. Give me the lay of the land here. We got Sonoma, the break, Nashville, Chicago, NASCAR and NBC races. Those last two. What do you see coming here in the next month? Well, we're we're so excited to come back. I, you know, we've been talking a lot. Um, we stay together. You know, we, we're not on the road together, but we spend a ton of time together anyway. Uh, we are super excited about it. Um, you know, Nashville has proven to be a really good racetrack with great races. Chicago is going to be, a, it's, that is, that is going to be crazy. Like I, I went there and I'll be honest, Nate, I don't, I didn't have a positive or a negative feeling about it other than this is bold to do this. Uh, and I, and I love bold. I love, I love aggressive. Um, after going there, I, I left there feeling really optimistic about, about the racing i think it, it there are going to be some great corners there's going to be some corners that drivers are like what in the hell is happening here uh because it's going to be some really tight corners it's some really long straightaways i was shocked how long some of the straights are speeds are going to be <laughs> ripping uh i mean it's a it's a super speedway of street courses i can tell you that it, it was way more straights than i would have imagined so um I think it. I think it's going to work. I think it's. I think it's. Uh, it, it's different. It's a different street course than I had in my head. Hmm. You know, I've only watched street courses on television, right? And I. And most of those races that I watch on street courses, um, this week's Detroit Grand Prix was really. That was a really good race. Uh, but a lot of them aren't. And and um, I think that people are going to be surprised at the quality of race that we get and the challenge that it gives the drivers. We talk all the time about how difficult we want it to be for the drivers. Tune in, boys. It's going to be very difficult for the drivers. There is no doubt. There is one place, Nate, where it's it's a straight, 
But you go up, you go up a hill. Think about this: downtown Chicago. You go up a hill, over a bridge, down the hill, into an ex- breaking zone downhill, ninety degree corner that goes from I'm going to say five lanes to two. <laughs> and when you rip that right hand corner, the skyscrapers are on the driver's left side. Like there's literally feet from the skyscrapers going to the next to last corner. I mean. That corner is going to be nuts. It is, it, it's going to press and push because you're going to narrow down to this tight right-hand radius, super radi- tight radius. Uh, I can't wait to see them navigate through it. It's going to be a massive challenge. And emotionally, you're going to have to get there as a driver. You're going to have to go there and say, this is different than anything I've ever done. Am I going to embrace it? Or am I going to shrug it off and say, I don't like it? You better embrace it. Because others are, and somebody's going to win that race. And and it pays the same amount of points as all the other ones. And anytime something new happens, you want to be the guy that wins it. Uh, it, it it's going to be a fascinating race. All right. Well, that's certainly a big selling point. The super speedway of street courses. I would just covered the Detroit Grand Prix here in Michigan. A lot of people weren't expecting that to go as well as it did. That was a lot of fun to watch. So good. hopefully right before July 4th on the streets of Chicago, and catch it on NBC. We'll see uh, NASCAR's first Cup Street race deliver just as well. Uh, Jeff, always a pleasure. Always love having the mayor on the NASCAR NBC podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you, buddy. We appreciate Jeff Burton for joining us on the NASCAR NBC podcast after a long day and night at Worldwide Technology Raceway. Thanks to motorsports manager Emily Conboy for recording this episode and Zach Catanzaretti for editing the Motorsports on NBC YouTube version of the podcast. You can check out the Motorsports on NBC YouTube page as well for more NASCAR America Motormouths content and highlights from across the racing spectrum. You always can find more news, columns, and analysis on NASCAR Talk and Motorsports Talk on NBCSports.com. Please visit NBCSports.com NASCAR or NBCSports.com motors. If you have any NASCAR on NBC podcast feedback, you can send to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.